I know, right? It was me. It was really awkward, too, wasn't it? Uh, okay, gang, here's how this worked. Uh, I, was, uh, I was just at a camp speaking for a week uh, to junior hires, middle schoolers. And let's, let me just say this. On a case-by-case basis, I think they're great. When you get 175 of them in the same room, it's like super awkward all the time. I can't tell you how many of these I, I, I heard all week. You know, I'm sitting on a bench and up walks junior hire. I just ate 16 Laffy Taffies. <laughs> or, or better, you get this one. I think your kids are really funny. <laughs> uh, wow, they're great. So... I'm on my way home from speaking at a junior high camp, and Toff says, hey, I was thinking about doing a little, you know, promo, you know, a little intro video for your sermon. What do you think? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I trust your judgment. <laughs> the final countdown, like, am I on, am I, am I dying or what? Uh, but love the pyrotechnics. Toff told me later that he just had a vision of me, like, riding in on a horse, you know, like, with this and pyrotechnics, and this is as close as we could get without blowing up or burning down the joke joint, which would be really, really bad thing to do on our one-year anniversary. Um, so, uh, seriously, I, I feel very, very affirmed in my calling to plant a church after last week. Like, youth ministry uh, was a great first season, but I'm done with that. So, nice to see you all. I'm glad that you're all wearing deodorant and uh, that you can read. Okay, okay, that's enough, that's enough. And that's enough of you. Like I said, junior hires are great. If there, are there any middle schoolers in the audience here today? A couple of you, a couple of you. I love you guys, you're awesome. Uh, okay, I'm not sure how to turn it around after that. So here's, what's, here's what we're going to do today. Uh, I used to, speaking of junior hires, no, we're going we're gonna to stay there for a little bit longer. I was, a, I was a, count, a camp counselor for a summer. Anybody ever do the camp counselor bit? A couple of you. Okay, so this is the deal where you go to a camp and they pay you really, really poorly and you work from like, you know, 7 in the morning until 12 at night and then the kids leave on Saturday and then they come back then the next Sunday, like 24 hours later. This is what we're talking about. So at this particular camp I worked at in Colorado, was called Idrahaji, the first two letters of I'd Rather Have Jesus. Very creative, you know. Good youth pastor thought of that one. And uh, so I'd Rather Have Jesus, Idrahaji, it's in Colorado. And the first week I find out that on Friday morning they have this particular hike that they do. It's called the Sunrise Hike. And I thought, hey, let's do this. You know, I'm a fisherman. I wake up early. That's, it's a great idea. So uh, I didn't realize that sunrise meant, like, you have to hike to the place where you're going to be so when the sun rises, you're there to see it, right? This is summertime, and the sun rises at, say, like, 5.30. It's like an hour-long hike. So we're waking up with middle schoolers, mind you, junior hires, at 4.30 in the morning and by headlamp climbing up to the top of this mountain. Uh, the hike itself took, like, 45 minutes. So it was, it was a pretty um, strenuous deal, exerted a lot of energy, and... and uh, so you're walking up there in the middle of the dark in the, in the night and to get there, you know, 15 minutes before the sun rises and then you're sitting up on top of this mountain. And I, I, I ended up going every single week. It was 12 weeks of summer camp and I went every single Friday because when I was on top of this mountain, uh, it was like for a moment, everything else just kind of faded away. Have you ever been in one of those places where uh, it was just a special kind of thing? And for me that summer, it was the most unbelievable uh, mind-clearing kind of space where you're sitting on top of this mountain and you can see, you know, the 14, 14ers of Colorado around you and uh, the sun's coming up over the tops of these mountains and, and you could see 
uh, for miles and miles and miles and miles. And not only physically could you actually see things, but I felt like for me that summer, like I just saw a lot of things even spiritually and emotionally about myself and what I was learning, what God was doing in my life. And it was a place where, for me, I got to see something beautiful physically and uh, a very special time spiritually. And this whole idea of seeing is what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, this, this metaphor or this, this uh, theme of seeing things, it's all through the scriptures. If you've been with us at all uh, through our first year, uh, we've talked a little bit about this. And I'll just highlight a couple in the scriptures. You have a guy named Jacob who uh, goes before his father Isaac. And if you remember the story, he steals this blessing from his brother. And he's standing right in front of his father and his dad can't see him. Of course, he's getting old and he's going blind. But not only physically, but metaphorically, he can't see who's in front of him. Uh, and of course, uh, his father gives him the blessing and he steals it from his brother and then he runs and uh, brother wants to kill him. Uh, later on in the story, Jacob sleeps with Leah thinking it's Rachel, right? There's a, there's a person literally right in front of his eyes and he can't see her. Uh, later on in the story, Jacob is, uh, he's now in Egypt and he's kind of risen in the ranks and his brothers are experiencing famine in the land and they come to Egypt to try to get food and Jacob is standing there right in front of him and they don't recognize him. They can't see him. Um, Moses sends spies into the land, right? They're going to go get to the land and Moses sends a group of people into the land and 11 of them come back and say, it's filled with giants, we can't take it. But one person, Caleb, can see the divine future and he says, We've, God will be with us and we should take that land. Uh, ironically enough, the only person to see the land from that generation, Caleb. He was the only one who could see it. Uh, Deuteronomy 34, Moses is taken up to the mountain by God, and he's, he's able to look over into the land, but of course God says, you can see it, but you can't go in. How many of you have seen Avatar? Any Avatar people? We just watched that this weekend. What a great film. If you haven't seen that one, you've got to watch it. It's trippy. It's beautiful. If you, get it, if you can get it in HD, Blu-ray, it would be absolutely amazing. Um, but there's this great line in the movie and this idea of, I see you, right? And, and not only do I just see you standing in front of me, but I see you. So this metaphor of being able to see is all through the scriptures, and it's one that's very important. What I want to do today is just briefly... And actually, what I'm most looking forward to is the end of this, because I want to give you guys an opportunity to speak to one another and to speak to, uh, to each other about what we've seen in the last year. Um, but as your pastor, as uh, the person, one of the people who's leading this thing, uh, I, want to say, I want to spend some time today, and as we kind of stand on top of this mountain of one year, what do I see? Uh, what are the things that I have seen in you and that I see in this community uh, sometimes I'm privileged to see things and hear things that you never get to see or hear. And so I want to share a few of those with you today uh, as in an effort to, to say, what is it that I see? So I would say first and foremost, just a couple of things. But first, I would say, I see a group of people and a team of leaders specifically, a team of leaders learning and discovering their gifts and operating in them. Now, this may not seem very important. It may not seem very profound. But I have always dreamt of a church uh, where... If you think about leadership and you think about structures and organizations and specifically churches uh, as it relates to leadership, my dream has always been for a church to not look like this, where there's a hierarchy of leadership and who's ever at the top has all the power and makes all the decisions and everything has to run through that person. In the most negative sense, we've all seen that, right? And I've dreamt of a church that didn't look like this, but that looked like this, more like a circle, where there was flat leadership, where there was plural leaders, but most importantly, where there were people who knew what their gifts were and who were operating out of their giftedness. And, and consequently, 
when people are operating out of their giftedness, the, those who have other gifts or those who have gifts that are different than yours, they're not to be feared or they're not to be uh, uh, threatened by, but they're to be celebrated. Uh, I, I, some of you know a little bit about my story, and for those of you that don't, I'll just give you a glimpse into it. I, I worked at a church a while back, probably four years ago, and I was a youth pastor, youth pastor at this particular church, and... Uh, and to be perfectly honest with you, it was probably two years, uh, the worst two years of my vocational life thus far. And I'm sure there will be more in the future that are worse or that come close, uh, that rival this one. But this one was brutal. Um, and, and, and I've narrowed it down to a couple of particular reasons. And I think one of them was, uh, I was in a system, I was in a church where the leadership of the church didn't recognize and didn't appreciate and didn't value the gifts of others. And if, you're ever, if you've ever been in a place like that, it's like death. Because what you do and who you are and what makes your heartbeat and you're passionate about not only isn't valued, but it's actually uh, diminished and squelched because of whatever reason. Maybe it's insecurity, maybe, maybe it's fear, maybe it's just whoever doesn't like you. I don't know. But for me, that was a, a formative uh, a period in my life, and it, and it shaped what I dream of and what I believe a church should be and look like as it relates to leadership. Uh, not only that, but I was going to seminary, and I was learning and reading about what does the New Testament say about the people of God? How do, what does it look like, and how should it be structured? If you think of the Old Testament, and it's of course, it looks just like this where it's all about the temple and it's all about the Levites and it's all about the priests and it's all about the the one high priest and everybody goes through that person to get to God, essentially. And they represent God to the people. And the New Testament comes along and Jesus comes along and the cross happens and it's as if everything changes. And I think it does, theologically. And I think it should for us as a church. And so for me, as I stand on top of this mountain of year one and I look, here's what I see. I see a group of people specifically a group of leaders who are learning what it feels like and looks like to operate out of their giftedness, where gifts are valued and appreciated, and together we can do something that we couldn't do on our own. What do I dream for year two? I dream that we continually see this happen in this church. I think it's starting to happen, and I see glimpses of it, and I have great hope. But I want to see that as we transition into year two, my hope and prayer is that what, the seed of what we've seen in year one will not only grow, but will blossom and sprout. And it will, begin to, it will continue to infiltrate every area of this church. Because you all, gang, and here's why this is important. You are the church. Okay? It's not me. It's not the group that leads this thing. Uh, it's not because I get paid. It's not because I'm on staff. It's not because I'm the pastor. You all, we are this community. We're this church called Awaken. And without you and without your gifts, something about this story that needs to be told in the world is left out. And so we need every single one of you. We need doctors. We need lawyers. We need teachers. We need social workers. We need theologians. We need... I think you're all theologians, but maybe we need people who are more studied in theology. We need all of these things to do this and to do and be what God has called us to be. And so as I stand on top of year one and look out, that is one of the things that I'm very proud and very excited to see. I would say, secondly, I see a community that trusts God at work and accepts one another. Now, here's what this is about. This is about our differences. This is about the differences that we have <clears throat> 
excuse me, sociologically, uh, economically, spiritually, politically, all of the different things that typically separate us and draw lines of distinction between us that we listen to on the radio, depending on which uh, you know, dial you're turn, tuned into, you get one slant on either side. This is about those kinds of things. And what I see happening in this group of people, as I look out and see the different people at these tables, and I know some of your stories, I think you would be blown away at the differences that exist in this room. We're talking about conservatives, liberals, libertarians, uh, Uh, We're talking about Arminians and Calvinists. We're talking about uh, those of you, some of us who grew up Lutheran and Catholic and charismatic and conservative and all kinds of different things. Mature Christians, young Christians, non-Christians, people that aren't even sure about who Jesus is, all in this room. Or maybe they're at their cabin right now, but usually they're in this room. (laughs) It's amazing to me to see what has come to to these tables and that has been the DNA of Awaken. And as I sit here and I look out on year one, I see a group of people who not only are learning to accept one another in their differences, but who are absolutely trusting that God is at work amidst, among us and in our midst. And so we, we can hold these things lightly. We can hold these things loosely. Um, and, and I think that there's two things at, at play here that are really important as I think about the gospel and what it means and what it means to live in it and, and live it out. One, there is this idea of ascribing unsurpassable worth to another human being despite our differences. Why? Because we believe that we are all created in the image of God. If in fact God made you and made me and made all the people in this room and it was never our job, never on our job description, go back to the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, before they ate from the the tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil, right? The ability to, to be the arbiters of good and bad. That was never our job. So prior to that, what's our role? Love God, love people. They asked Jesus, if you could sum it all up, what is it? Love God, love people. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. So on our job, on our role, on our job description is to love others and and ascribe unsurpassable worth to them because they're made in the image of God, regardless of their differences, regardless of what they may believe that's different than you, regardless of any of the things that typically separate us and divide us. And the only way that this works, the only way it happens, is that if there's a group of people with a deep sense of trust in the Holy Spirit and that God is at work in our midst. If that's not happening, then what comes to the fore are all of the things that separate us. So as I think about year two and my hope and dream for year two is that we see an increasing number of people who are different than those at the tables today. And the only way that will work, the only way that that will be possible is if we focus on love and that which is at the center, which is Jesus. If we start trying to grab all of the distinctives and bring them in and call them the center, what that will do is divide us. So that which is at the center, if we can hang on to who Jesus is, what he taught, the life that he now invites us into, and love for one another, I think that we can live together in peace. And guess what? What did Jesus, for crying out loud, what did Jesus say the world will know us by? Our theological distinctives? No. Whether or not we love one another. And gang, I am super excited. I'm stoked. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm all juiced because huh, I see this happening. I see this happening in this community. And when people come in here, I think that they're blown away. They're like, how does this, how does this work? How is this possible that people of such different distinctives and different beliefs even are able to come and, and have communion at the same table? 
It takes a group of people who are okay with and who recognize that faith and spirituality is not always black and white. That this thing that we call the Bible, or that is called the Bible, not that we call it, that is the Bible, uh, this idea of following Jesus, it is really difficult. And anyone who tells you that it's black and white and, you, and it's right or wrong is selling something, or they want you to do something. Because that's just not true. Faith is hard work. And there are things in life that are, that are gray, that are difficult, that the scriptures don't speak specifically to, that we have to interpret and figure out. And any time we have to interpret, we're looking through our lens and our experience and our tradition and our whatever, and we get a variety of different answers to the same question. If it's all black and white, if it's all easy, then somebody's got it right and everybody else has got it wrong. That's so demoralizing to me. And it's so lifeless to me. I think that God is okay with our wrestling. I think God is okay with us saying, you know what, this is a really difficult one to get. And it's gray. And, and, and maybe the scriptures speak to it in somewhat, but as we wrestle with it, friends, I'm so excited that I see this in this community. And I want to affirm it. I want to I fan the flame of it. And I want to say, if we can hang on to loving one another as, as, as our neighbor, as ourself, and if we can keep Jesus at the center, I think we've got good things ahead of us. I would say, as I stand here on year one and look out, I see a group of people, and I have seen a group of people, rediscovering Jesus. And this one just blows me away. Totally blows me away. Uh, <laughs> for a lot of different reasons. There's a passage in Luke 24. If you want to turn there, go ahead. I'm just going to read a couple of select parts of this story. It's one of my favorites in the Gospels. It's the end of uh, Luke's Gospel. Jesus has died, he's resurrected, and now his disciples find him walking on the road to Emmaus. Okay? Uh, and starting in verse 13, it says this, now that, the same, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk? They stood still, their faces down, downcast. One of them said, uh, one of them asked them, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Do you not know the things that have happened here, uh, there in these days? Now skip over to verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went and he stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, and this is just so beautiful. When do they recognize him? He took bread and gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them and then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight and they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. As a church planter, I get to hang out with lots of other church planters. I do this about once a month. And everybody that I talk to that goes into church planting, you say, so why do you do church planting? What is it about church planting? And almost to the T, everybody will say, I'm just so passionate about people coming to know Jesus for the first time. That's what we want to see. That's why we're starting this church. And I'll be honest, I said that uh, prior to a starting Awaken. And I still want to see that. But friends, God has done something that has surprised me in the last year that I never saw coming. And it looks a lot like the road to Emmaus. I can't tell you how many emails and stories I have heard where people have come and they said, I feel like at Awaken, I am rediscovering the Jesus that I once knew. That I felt like had been lost amidst all of the, the, 
the bureaucracy of spirituality and of tradition and of religion and all of these things that seem to have gotten in the way of who this Jesus is. And I feel like for the first time, or actually for the second time, and sometimes even the third time, I feel like I am rediscovering who Jesus is. And I'm telling you, that for me is like payday. Because I think that we live in a culture and we live in a day and age where there are a lot of people for whom that's the case. And as I stand here on year one and I look out, that's one of the things that I see. I see many, many people who are sitting in these seats around you who have said to me, I have emails in my inbox, I don't delete them, I keep them, where they've said, I feel like I'm, I'm seeing Jesus again for the first time. And that is, uh, I think, that's beautiful. And, and as I, I hope and dream for year two, I hope that we continue to see that. Because I think it says something about this community and the people that are in it and what's happening here, what God's up to. Lastly, I would say this, and this is probably, I want to end here and I want to invite you into the process uh, with this one. As I look out over year one, one of the things that I see in this community are incarnational impulses. Now, what do I mean by that? Philippians chapter 2 is the great passage that Paul penned uh, to the Philippian church where he talks about Jesus and exactly what has happened in the incarnation. He says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The incarnation is the movement of the gospel. If it goes in any direction, if it looks like anything, if it feels like anything, it's this idea that God himself takes on the frame of a human being to tell the most beautiful story that the the world has ever known. If God's going to tell the story, how does he do it? He enters into a body, he shows up in flesh and blood, and he tells this story of love to the world that needs to hear it. The incarnation, this movement into a body to show something, to tell a story, is the movement and the feel and flow of the gospel, as far as I'm concerned. And I see this happening in and through Awaken. I would submit to you that the gospel did not then and does not now exist in propositions alone. What do I mean by propositions? Phrases, words, truths, some idea in our head or words that we can explain. The gospel does not exist. It does not live there. It does not become real there. We need that. We have to have right thinking. We have to think well about it. We have to be able to articulate it. But the gospel lives in story. The gospel lives in a narrative, and without story, without narrative, without a frame, it's like these concepts that don't connect. Anything that you think about has to have a story, has to have a narrative, has to have a frame that gives it context and meaning, and without it, they're just ideas. So when Jesus shows up, when the gospel becomes real, when the gospel becomes explainable and and, and tangible, it happens in and through a person and in a story. This movement, if you think about Awaken, one year ago, tomorrow, July 11th, Awaken, this community existed in the minds and hearts of a few people. It didn't exist in real life yet. And you have become the incarnational impulse that has actually given Awaken meaning. You are the context of this story. You are the characters in this story that God is writing. Gang, this is a beautiful book. 
It's amazing. It's life-giving. But it doesn't tell all the stories. There are hundreds, thousands of stories that have not been told in this book that the world needs to hear. And this is one of them. And you all, we have become the characters in this story that God is using to tell the world. A couple of weeks ago, uh, some of our our leaders, we have a core team of of people who, uh, they made something for me. And uh, this is it. If you do Twitter or whatever, I I tweeted about this. It sounds so weird. I tweeted about that. Um, But they got together and they wrote uh, letters. And uh, there's... I think eight of them or seven of them, however many are on the core team, not including me. Is that seven? I think it's seven. It's so irrelevant. <laughs> In this book, here's, what, here's why I tell you the story. Here's what happened for me. I took this home, and uh, after the evening, they gave this to me, and I sat on my couch and I read this. And for me, uh, Awaken became 3D. Awaken for me, like that was one of the moments that it was absolutely crystal clear that God was writing a beautiful story, that it wasn't just ideas, it wasn't just values on a website, it wasn't just words on a page, but it's actually you, it's, it's your faces, it's like you and you, and I have proof of it, and I've read this cover to cover multiple times since then. But God is writing an amazing story at Awaken. And just like I did last year, uh, I, we sat in a park just up the hill that we'll be headed to in a few moments, Lord willing, if it doesn't rain on us. And I said, I want to invite you into the story that God is writing at Awaken. And I want to do the same thing again this year. Uh, if you're looking for a community where God's up to something and God's doing something and he's using ordinary people to do it, stick around. Because this could get good. Uh, We're going to transition here just uh, for a moment. And uh, one of the things that was really special about last year was just a time of prayer that we had together. So we're going to kind of strip it down and do that in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to give you all an opportunity um, to share. And uh, I'm going to ask if if you want to do that. We've got a, do we have that handheld somewhere? Seth's got it up there. Uh, If you want to share, just kind of Get Seth's attention. He'll be walking around here because uh, we want to make sure we capture this because these are, these are moments that we don't want to miss. Um, but if you would be willing, uh, really the, the frame for this is how has God used Awaken in your life over the last year? And uh, I, can I just encourage you, and cha- not challenge you, but encourage you um, to maybe step out a little bit on this one. Maybe you're not uh, used to speaking or certainly not speaking into a microphone. Um, but this gives life to me uh, to this community. So if you would, uh, if you have something to share, just uh, wave Seth down and uh, just for a few moments, we'd love to hear how is God using Awaken in your lives? What are the things that you see uh, standing on this mountain of year one? Awesome. Thanks, Phil. Is this on? Hey. Yeah, we're good. All right. As an artist, Awaken as a community has been fantastic. Uh, you don't find churches, at least I don't find churches, too often are, um, or usually what I've found is they're not very accepting to art, which is strange because God is such a wonderful creator. And so uh, it's been sweet to have the support 
And that has done wonders to me as an artist to just have encouragement from the Lord that what I'm doing is, is good. And so yeah. I really appreciate that. Awesome. Phil's a potter, by the way. Is that what you're called? Is that what they call you? Potter? He works with clay. <laughs> yeah. Others? I'm pretty sure I can't pull this off without crying, so I might as well just put that out there. Um, I think being part of this this community since it was a dream and a little sparkle and in, in Micah's eyes and, and uh, some other people that gathered together, um, I have consistently felt like I could be me and that my... As, as Micah mentioned, that my unique gifts and my person was recognized. And that has meant so much to me. The idea of I see you and it is good and differences aren't going to divide us. And it's okay to wrestle and it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to wonder. Um, and to be able to be a part of a people that are willing to go on this crazy journey together has been a gigantic blessing in my life. And I am very, very grateful that God invited me along and that each of you are here and, and part of that as well. Thanks, Joan. Um, I might not do this without crying either. <laughs> um, as a person who has, um, who's grown up in the church since birth, I'm pretty sure. Can you confirm that? <laughs> um, and I went, I went to a Christian school first through 12th grade, you know, um, this is the first time that God and Jesus and church hasn't been a chore. Um, I, I love waking up on Sunday for the first time in my life. Like it's, it's, and it's, I think it's everything that, um, growing up and being in the church and seeing, seeing the good and the bad and the ugly, um, it's everything that, I knew in my heart that I was longing for to see um, and to see just Jesus in a community and not all the other stuff. Um, and it's beautiful. And I'm so proud of you <laughs> and everyone. Thanks, Laura. I came across a really weird word the other day that I hadn't seen before, and the word is adsorb, A-D-S-O-R-B. And I was like, you know, is this really a real word, and is it different from absorb? Um, <laughs> so I had to look it up. And um, I found out it was, really has an interesting definition, and it just really struck me to the core and made me think a lot about this place and what we're doing in the world. Um, absorb, as you know, is to take something into yourself, to absorb it like a sponge. You draw like liquid into yourself, and it becomes integral to what you are. Adsorb is when, some, when you are going along and something adheres to your surface, and it go, travels along with you. So you're kind of you're like going along, dragging stuff along with you, and it comes along. It doesn't necessarily become integral to who you are, but you're carrying it along with you in, with your momentum. And um, I kind of think in my idea of what the church is, I always felt kind of like kind of a loner because I felt like I was kind of out on the peripheries of the church in the world. And I feel like that's, as believers, that's where we're called to be. We're out in the world mingling with people. And, it, and um, you know, you always talk about people who say, well, you know, be careful where you go because you don't want to get contaminated by the culture or you don't want to get drawn in or drugged down or whatever. <laughs> but I've always felt like I've been out there on the peripheral, on the edge. And um, there has to be a place for us where we don't, 
absorb the culture necessarily, but we adsorb. We attach to the people who are on the edges there and bring them along with us. And my problem has always been I have no problem being out there on the edges, and I think a lot of us feel that way. It's just where do we bring them as far as the community goes? And this is the first time all of my my Christian adult life, I've dreamed of a place where there would be a place where I feel comfortable inviting people, whoever I pick up along the journey. Um, and, um, and I feel like whoever attaches themselves to me, that's who my traveling mate is, and that's who I bring them with me to my home. This is the first home I've really felt um, excited about bringing people to, that no matter who they are or what they're wearing or where they are in life, that I can bring them here, and they're going to be accepted and loved and um, they're going to be welcomed whatever stage of the journey that they're in. This is really exciting. Thanks, Carolyn. New sermon series starting next week, Adsorb. <laughs> Very cool. So, so yeah, I'm Travis. I, uh, I moved back here uh, last December, and so I was kind of like in this transitional stage going into the work field and whatever. And usually those periods of my life tend to be like times where it's like kind of spiritually dead and like, maybe even like falling into bad ha- old habits and um so I was kind of going around looking at churches and I heard from like a friend's mom who heard from her friend who I found out like two weeks ago was actually Seth's mom but anyways heard about the church and I, I was looking at a bunch of different churches and a lot of great churches just kind of cool communities but I came here and, and the one thing that was really different was just like just people you, just, I really felt accepted, you know, people come up and say hi to me, and, um, you know, just, I'm really bad with small talk, so that's kind of an intimidating thing, especially when, you know, it's just me going, and um, I think, you know, like Mike is saying, that was really just what I, I saw, you know, kind of Christ's love, and just, that's really what uh, brought me back, and I, and so I guess, like, my, my prayer for myself and for, like, the rest of us is that we would, you know, keep, keep doing that, like, I think that's uh, really important, and um, so, but yeah, like I said, it's just, it was just really a blessing just finding this church and just having that kind of spiritual growth instead of spiritual kind of just downfall in cool. this time. Thanks, Travis. Maybe a couple more? Oh my gosh. <clears throat> <laughs> I just wanted to say that today I'm grateful all the ways that you have encouraged Micah um, and believed in this dream and becoming the people to make it a reality. Um, I'm really thankful for the leadership team, especially to Ben and Toff, and the way that they um, meld and lead this church and um, keep Micah accountable, but also love on him and build him up and believe in him. And there's been a lot of healing for Micah and for us. And I stand here just very, very grateful for everybody. I'm really proud of my husband. I just want to add to that real quick. Um, I came from a, just prior to this, came from a similar situation to Micah. And Micah, you recall that um, a little over a year ago, you and I went out for beers and... Uh, <laughs> I think I said something at Solstice one night, just pretty raw, unfiltered, and you're like, we should hang out. We should be friends. And we sat down, and I, um, 
I just saw like this 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 light in your eyes that was, um, and you were talking about a Jesus that I had no clue who that was, I, and and I immediately just knew that that um, that anything that you set your heart to and that you submit yourself to, um, that that you would succeed. And I've just you know after a year of this, it's been a total surprise every step of the way. And, um, I'm just so thankful for the days that, you know, I, you know, you, you offer grace, um, unconditionally and, uh, I can't, I can't thank you enough for that. Ditto. One of, uh, last, last year when we were in the park, um, there was a moment where we gathered and prayed together, and uh, <clears throat> the Irish people, the Celts, they talk about this idea of thin places, where the veil between the world we can't see, but that God can, and the world that we live in is just very, very thin, and the presence of God is really, really present uh, in a way that maybe it isn't normally, and uh, that was a moment last year in the park uh, where we prayed and uh, just invited people to offer their own prayers and dreams and hopes for Awaken. Um, and not in an effort to recreate that, um, because we don't want to, you know, build temples where those sacred things happen, because God is present and loose in the world. Um, but I want to just invite us to a time of prayer, and I'll ask Ben and the band if you guys want to take your spots, and we'll close with a song or two, and pick whatever you feel is appropriate, Ben, uh, as far as what we've got planned. And uh, But let's just enter a time of prayer, if we could, and uh, feel free to just pray out wherever you are. Um, you know, loud enough so the rest of us can hear it, but uh, uh, we won't use the mic for that. So if we could just enter a time of prayer and uh, whatever hopes, dreams, uh, prayers you'd like to offer and and, uh, lift up for Awaken and what God might do, let's just do that together if we could.